welcome to Table Radio Season 2. Today's sermon was preached by Andy Withrow on Sunday, February 20th. Enjoy! We're continuing our series on the parables of the Kingdom, Matthew chapter 13. We're in verse 44 through 46. The Kingdom of Heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. When I was very little, uh, my family would travel to my grandparents' house and uh, my grandpa would play a game with me, as probably six or seven, play a game called Hide the Button. And it is very well-titled game. You could probably imagine um, how to play. You, I leave the room and Grandpa hides a couple of buttons, one big black one and one small white one, in plain sight somewhere in the living room. That's the rule, it has to be in plain sight. And then I'd come back in and I would spend sometimes seconds, sometimes minutes and minutes and minutes looking for these buttons. And that's what I thought of when I'm looking through these uh, parables of the treasure and the pearl of great price. Um, and it's easy to kind of make this fun, loving, grandfatherly type connection with these parables and who God is. Um, because my grandpa loved me. But when you think about it a little bit more, it's not like grandpa was hiding my inheritance. He was hiding some buttons. And that's where some of us get tripped up with some of these parables of the hiddenness of the kingdom because the kingdom of God is something that, um, that we're longing for, that the, the Bible holds out as the fulfillment of some of our deepest longings. And my grandpa wasn't hiding those from me. He was engaging in those with me in this game. So why is the treasure hidden? And why is the pearl so rare? and hard to find. If this is something good, and if God wants us, even expects us to have it, why hide it in the first place? Or why is it hidden? Why is it hidden in a random field? Or in the case of the pearl, why is it hidden among such similar items? You'd have to be a pearl merchant who knows her pearls to know its surpassing value. If this is something that is meant to be the world's salvation, on one level anyway, a way to find God in all his goodness, why would God make it difficult at all? If someone really loved you, would they hide something good from you? Let that question hang in the air a bit. But if we're taking the Bible seriously, what God reveals about himself, who he is, then the reason that the kingdom is hidden cannot be because God doesn't care. It can't be. If if we're reconciling it with the rest of the story, not the God who stayed with Adam and Eve from the very beginning despite their rebellion, not the one who suffered through humanity's failures and formed a people for himself to be a light to the world, to reveal him to the world, Not the one who came in the flesh because he loved the world so much and even died for the sake of the world. So we know if we're taking the story seriously, it can't be because God doesn't care or that it's not important to him. 
If we're going to try to make sense of the whole story, we know it can't be because God doesn't love with a powerful and fierce kind of love. And not only can it not be because God doesn't love us, but it can't be because God isn't smart enough. This is sort of a by-definition thing, isn't it? If God were unintelligent, God probably wouldn't be God. But most of us, if we've done any reading about Jesus, we already know this. He's fiercely intelligent, consistently duping the academics and the experts of his day. But this is where we kind of get into a different kind of wisdom and smarts in the Bible. All through the Bible, there's this theme of a certain kind of wisdom that outsmarts the wise. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Or Genesis 3, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Or 1 Corinthians 1 from Paul, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Jesus says himself a couple chapters earlier in Matthew 11, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. I could go on. The Bible's full of these. It seems that at least part of the challenge is that God's kingdom that place of goodness and justice and mercy and the presence of God is completely counterintuitive to our ways of thinking and being in the world. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something completely counterintuitive to their experience and their understanding? My wife and I were just watching this um, documentary on Netflix called The Rescue, story of these cave divers trying to rescue a group, a a soccer team, a children's soccer team. You've probably heard this. This It's a true story. You've probably heard of this. And when they were going into the cave, now the kids were like a kilometer and a half. I can't remember exact distance. A kilometer and a half or so into the cave. It's quite a way, but the cave is flooded and they're trapped in there. And so these cave divers who are not professionals, they're hobbyists, but They're the best ones, most qualified to go in and try to get it. They go in just a few hundred meters, and they find these adults, three adults, three adult male workers who just happened to be in the caves. No one knew they were in there. No one knew they were missing. They weren't looking for them. They just found them, and they tried to rescue them out from just a few hundred meters, and they put their oxygen, some oxygen mask on them and tried to lead them out, and it was chaos. Their intuition of these, these men underwater, being held down and trying to, being forced to swim in a certain way, uh, they kicked, they punched, they elbowed. Any, any little bit of pocket of air, they would just do all oh, this. It was just crazy. And the divers were like, ah, if this is happening with adults for a few hundred meters, how are we going to get kids, kids out of there? It's so counterintuitive. I won't spoil it. I won't tell you how they did it. You can watch that. But that was just an image for me of the counterintuitiveness of God's kingdom and trusting 
trusting Jesus into a whole different way of life. It's so hard for us not to kick and punch and scream out of it. Or you could try coaching baseball to a six-year-old. Or maybe you could try getting your folks to use TikTok. I don't know. Now, you may be thinking, so what? He's God. Just snap the fingers and he can make people understand. But as we saw with the purpose of parables sermon from Josh, this is not fundamentally about intellectual understanding. It's part of it, but it's not the root of it. As we've seen in the examples from the Bible, kids get this better than adults do. You've revealed this to little children. You've hid it from the learned and understanding. The non-experts, says Jesus, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of the PhDs. So it's not just about intellectual smarts. This is fundamentally about our will. We tend to nurse rebellion in our hearts for all sorts of reasons. Pride, arrogance, bitterness, fear, anger. All sorts of things harden us against the otherwise, what would otherwise smack us upside the head is obvious. And so it leads to this question that I wonder. What if, in some way, what if God hiding the kingdom in our midst, just under our noses even, but hiding it there, somehow counterintuitively makes it more accessible to us? It's that math teacher that didn't give you the answer, so you might discover the treasure that is at the center of learning to love math, for example. Or that parent who wanted to teach you that thinking was more the pearl of great value than the easy answer they could have given you about why there's clouds in the sky or whatever. But these are just parables. It's not that God wants to just teach us a valuable lesson. He wants to give us the kingdom with the king at its center. And this raises the stakes astronomically higher. This is about our relationship with the king, the creator of heaven and earth. What would you do to try to make someone you love care about something important without threatening your relationship with them? I think the older we get, the deeper we ha- get into relationships in our lives. When we have kids or even thinking about oh, being children of parents and our relationship with our parents, things get complicated. Wanting the best for someone and securing the best for someone are two different things. This is tricky. Because you can't put them in a headlock. You can't force them to see and understand what you see and understand, to value what you value. Jesus put it this way. You can't cast your pearls before swine. He was, his point was not to compare people who disagree with you to pigs. It was to show that there's little sense in parading your treasures before people who have no frame of reference or heart that's soft enough and open enough to see the value of what you're putting before them. Do you ever hide a thing from someone in order to teach them to value it more? It's like, um, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, the goal isn't to try to get something out of somebody's head. If I can make them think it's their idea, Maybe they'll want to spend $1,000 on my vacation idea. 
Or maybe if I plant the catalog open to a certain page, she'll get me that for Christmas. But if I come in saying it's my idea, I want this, or we should do that, I know it's not going to work because of the nature of the relationship. What if it's the hiding of the treasure, the hiding of the kingdom that counterintuitively makes it more accessible to us? What if God loved us that much that he knew it had to be baked into a loving game of hide the button? That otherwise, if it was revealed in our lives too early or at the wrong time, we'd thrash and kick and fight and not, not receive it. No, we had to come to a place where we saw the value. We quickly re-hit it, and then in our joy, we went and sold all that we had to secure it. Or we learned the value of it over time, and we begin to spend a life looking for what our desires are longing for, and upon finding it, we gave all that we had to get it. And this is the good news. The kingdom of God, that city where God is living with us, where people genuinely care for one another, and justice with lots of patience and mercy mixed into it, in just the right amounts are found. That place is findable. That's the good news. It's findable. And not only is it findable, it's securable. We can possess it now, which seems and even feels scandalous to say, but this is the gospel promise. There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, says Jesus, and the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Or Paul puts it this way, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this eternal, incorruptible thing in very vulnerable jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Or your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Peter puts it this way, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, a treasure that's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I think the kingdom is hidden in our midst, baked into life around us, like leaven in a lump of dough so that it would be graspable so that we could have it right now. My son lost his favorite football last fall. We looked everywhere, inside, outside, under the couches. Nothing, gone. It's the weirdest thing. Where could it have gone? Then he got like five footballs for Christmas because everybody heard about it. Two weeks ago, he walks into the house. Guess what, he says. Found that football. It was under a shrub in Jim and Betty's yard. All winter. It was fine. Still works. Now he's got six footballs. But the point is this. It was there the whole time, right under his nose, just yards away from where he plays every day. I wonder if the kingdom is the same. It's far, not far from each one of us, not far at all, 
hidden, but close by within our grasp and findable. We just need eyes to see and ears to hear. So Lord, have mercy. Four, I hope, practical ideas I want to end this with. Number one, choose today. Who will you serve? Life full and unending is an offer in Jesus, the king of the kingdom. If finding his goodness and presence in our midst is not a function of your intelligence, how smart you are, but a function of your willingness, your openness, and your soft-heartedness, then let's get to it. Say to him, Lord, here I am. I am yours. I'm choosing. I'm choosing you. And I want to see what you have for me. And I want to hear what you're speaking to me. That's the first thing. Make a choice. Second, get some wisdom that we talked, the kind of wisdom we talked about. Pray, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me those ears to hear. Make it a regular prayer. And start paying attention. Mix your decision with this prayer for wisdom. The Lord loves to give, and he especially loves to give wisdom. So if you ask for it, assume he's giving it to you, and start paying attention and saying, Lord, what are you showing me today? Third, start digging for that treasure, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So again, when you pray for that wisdom, for those eyes to see and ears to hear, trust that he is giving it. And a good way to trust is to start practicing. Start digging by paying attention and asking, Lord, what are you showing me today? What are you revealing about yourself to me today? It might just be under Jim and Betty's shrubs. And fourth, get to know your pearls. All our desires have their rightful end in him, in the king of the kingdom. We do not come to Jesus by ignoring our desires, but rather by recognizing their roots and their true fulfillment in him and his kingdom. So embrace what makes you tick. It is God-given. So when you do come across that pearl of great value, you'll recognize it and you won't pass it by. God, would you give us these things? Would you give us this wisdom? And would you help us to start digging and start seeing this treasure in this pearl in our midst? We trust that you are here, that you are present, and you have baked this kingdom into our lives and our realities. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Thank you.